Warning, this show may contain adult language that is not suitable for all audiences. This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show interview edition. And we've got interviews on interviews on interviews for this week's show, and I'm looking forward to you hearing them. We'll start off with the Senior Vice President of International Content, David Shaw. He joined me to talk about uh, really the business side of, uh, of the UFC, how things have worked out for them during the pandemic, looking ahead to a lot of different projects that they have coming up, uh, including the apparel deal, uh, as well as their launching into the NFT space. A lot of different uh, things that if you like the business side of sport, you'll, uh, you'll enjoy. Uh, we'll also be joined, of course, by the two main event competitors of this weekend's card, Kevin Holland and Marvin Vittori. Had a great chat with both of them. Looking forward to you hearing those, as well as Mackenzie Dern and her opponent, Nina Ansaroff, was able to speak with both of them as well, heading into the weekend. Plus, two Canadian fighters joined the show. Tristan Connolly, who's uh, been residing in Las Vegas since uh, January to get prepared for his featherweight debut. This is a guy who beat Michelle Peheja at 170 pounds, and Michelle is probably more of, a, of an 85er. And now we've got him moving down to featherweight. He explained why he wanted to move down to featherweight for his first fight back uh, after suffering a, a car accident and, a, and having to undergo surgery as a result. So he's back. He's rebuilt and ready to go. And then also from the East Coast, or the West Coast of Canada, rather, Lupita Godinez just signed with the UFC uh, this past week, and she's going to be facing Jessica Penne next week uh, on uh, the UFC Fight Night card. So uh, looking forward to, to that one. Uh, as well, because uh, I think Lupita is one of the best prospects from Canada. Uh, Mexican-Canadian moved to Vancouver about uh, 11 years ago and uh, started her fighting career. So uh, looking forward to speaking with Lupi about her up-and-coming fight. So uh, thank you for tuning in. Really appreciate it. And uh, we'll get to our interviews. We'll start with David Shaw, the Senior Vice President of International and Content for the UFC. I'm pleased to be joined by the Senior Vice President of International and Content, David Shaw. Right now, international events have not been taking place, aside from in Abu Dhabi. I'm curious, how has your role changed uh, since the pandemic hit uh, and, and what your day-to-day -day, uh, work workflow is like? I mean, it's certainly become a lot tougher than it was um, pre-COVID. Uh, you know, obviously, it's very easy to communicate and nice to be able to connect with teams through Zoom or Microsoft Teams or whatever else, but there's really no substitute for in-person work. There's really no substitute for live events with fans. And so for us the past year, although you know we've had some successes, it's been pretty arduous. Um, we have wanted to make sure that we can get out to fans as quickly as possible in whatever regions we could, and we just haven't been able to. So for me personally, I mean, it means I have gone from you know being on a plane or outside of the U.S. you know 12 to 14 days a month. To being at home other than the three fight island editions that we did uh over 2020 and 2021 so it's been a nice change uh looking forward to get back on the road though yeah you and i both but uh looking ahead to to events um right now we're gonna have full arena events we got ufc 261 262 how soon do you think that's going to become the norm where fight nights are going to be held in, in full arenas and you're going to get back to your regularly scheduled touring i guess i mean it's good it's still going to take a while i think there's a very short list of cities right now where we've got the opportunity to go and hold events with 100% capacity and sell tickets to, uh, to, to fans for them to be in attendance. You, you know, Dana's been very clear that, you know, from a brand perspective, you know, we're going to go to cities and arenas where we can have 100% capacity. We don't really want to go to a situation where we can only sell 20% or 30% of tickets. Uh, as of now, there's a number of states in the U.S. that say that they're open for business. But when you get down to the nitty gritty, 
uh, it, it's it's a really tough situation uh, to figure out how to do 100% uh, capacity of, of venues. So I think for the time being, you know, we're going to have this event in Jacksonville in two weeks. That sold out. We're going back to Houston on May 15th for UFC 262. That sold out. We're going to aim to try to find cities that can take our pay-per-view events in the U.S. for the foreseeable future uh, and likely keep uh, our fight nights here at the Apex. We're hopeful that with you know some of the real material improvements that are being made in Nevada, we'll be able to have an event in Las Vegas at some point this summer. Uh, but all bets are off when it comes to the international um, opportunities. We're really unsure of where we can go. We uh, are pinpointing a few uh, different countries that are probably a bit more uh, advanced in their COVID recovery at the moment, uh, but nothing to report yet. Are you able to mention some of those countries that are, I guess, more, more ahead of schedule? Yeah, I mean, you know, just sort of common knowledge. You look at places like, you know, maybe the UK uh, or, or Russia or, you know, even Abu Dhabi. And um, through a variety of different reasons, it seems like they've been able to manage infection rates or distribute and administer the vaccines at a, at a much uh, more expeditious rate than some other places. Um, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, it's probably going to be a few months before we can get back to Brazil. Um, so we've got our, our, you know, some places, some cities on the radar that could take fight nights and or pay-per-views uh, throughout the remaining months of 2021. But a lot remains to be seen. Now, obviously, this is an unfortunate situation with the pandemic, but how fortunate is the UFC that this didn't happen four years ago? You guys have the apex now. You guys have some really uh, advantageous uh, broadcasting agreements that allow you to hold events without taking that big of a hit for not having the gate. Tell me about how this, I guess, recent uh, turn of events helped, you know, where the UFC is kind of in a better position now than they would have been, say, four years ago. Yeah, I mean, you know, on the broadcast front, we were able to um, deliver 41 of 42 events last year. And I think that was hugely important for our broadcast partners all around the world, because while there was an absence of live programming last spring and, and last summer, um, UFC was able to deliver both our pay-per-view events and our fight night events here from the Apex, as well as the first initial uh, three events that we had in uh, in, in Jacksonville. Um, yeah, we were incredibly lucky. I think when we bought and we moved into the, our new campus uh, four years ago here in Las Vegas, um, we had sort of the great vision of creating a bit of a, you know, a, a campus that was was multifunctional. And one of the things that Dana and Craig Borsari did was we had bought uh, a piece of, 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 of land and bought a building that was converted into our production facility that's now called the UFC, UFC Apex. And this is where all our live fights have been in the last 12 months, other than the ones in Abu Dhabi. And it was um, it was very fortuitous for us because we had been investing in this facility with the long-term view that we could hold not only live events and film contender series and potentially create this, you know, this this production hub that was, at, you know, kind of first of its kind in Las Vegas, could service some of the other pro sports, you know, Golden Knights, Raiders, and whatever other properties come to Las Vegas. As it turns out, the investment we made was incredibly important for us because it allowed us to have all of our live events there. Uh, fully functional broadcast operations center, uh, which allows us to produce, uh, direct, and then transmit our live events all around the world without the use of, of TV trucks. Um, it really did save our 2020, and the investment in that, I think we're going to look back on it and say that it was a you know, hugely important moment in the time and the development of UFC. Well, yeah, you look at a lot of these other promotions, both in boxing and MMA, they have to rent out full venues. Uh, that must cost them a, an arm and a leg. Absolutely. And that was all, you know, our alternative without the apex, 
we would have had to rent out T-Mobile. We would have had to rent out New Orleans or Orleans uh, Arena. And for us, you know, to be on campus here at our headquarters where, to be honest, we could control all the variables. So with us having um, athletes staying nearby, our staff here, our production facility, this was our building. This was our environment. And from a health and safety perspective, it allowed us to maintain uh, an appropriate level of, of cleanliness and manage the, you know, um, the social distancing and the requirements for all the people involved in the show um, to the level that, you know, the, the, the governor expected for us to be able to have live shows. So um, hugely important for us. And we're going to continue, as I mentioned before, with all of our fight nights for the foreseeable future being here in the apex. Uh, it allowed us to save a lot of money as well. Now, judging by uh, the situation right now with the hotel, I know you guys are renting a, a hotel uh, in Las Vegas, and you guys are building your own hotel. How far along is that? Has the ground been broken on that? And how, how soon do you believe that'll be ready? No, it's, it's really not far along at all. I mean, Dana's talked a lot about it, and it's an unbelievable idea. Um, if you think about, you know, the number of, of the hundreds of athletes that are here every week, not only for training in the Performance Institute, but to, co to compete at the Apex, um, as well as, you know, some of our staff and officials that are coming in from out of town that need to be close to the office and need to be close to the Apex. Um, it's a great sort of long-term plan, um, but really nothing to report at the moment. I mentioned the UFC being very forward-thinking on the Apex. Another way in which the UFC has been very forward-thinking is in sports betting. If you look at what sports betting is like now in the U.S. compared to where it was at the start of the pandemic, it's become basically a normalized thing just overnight, uh, which is pretty impressive. But then you look at the UFC having odds on all of the different cards. How well did that uh, position the UFC for getting all kinds of different sponsors in this realm? Yeah, it's it's a good question. I mean, first of all, you know, the U.S. has advanced pretty rapidly in the last 12 to 24 months. I think there's now 25 states in the U.S. where sports betting is permitted. You know, 100 million Americans live in states where sports betting is is active. Um, for us, you know, our deal with DraftKings for the U.S. and Canada is is a great deal. I mean, first of all, just the heightened engagement that comes from your fan base when you're able to have a really meaningful second screen experience. It's a way to not only get people into your sport, but it's a way for people to enjoy your sport much better. And whether it's, you know, hockey or NFL fantasy or whether people are are checking their sports spots on their different apps, um, the immersive experience that comes from the second screen and allows you to kind of connect and be more interested, more engaged with the sport um, I think it just it's going to continue to grow our our fan base. Um, I think secondly, um, you know, being partnered with sort of a, a a U.S. leader and one of really the pioneers of daily fantasy sports, it's going to do a lot for our brand. You know, you are judged by the company Keep. We we really enjoy having a a big roster of, of blue chip um, organizations that we par partner with, and DraftKings is no different. And then I think for them. You know, DraftKings, our demo fits squarely into who, who they're after. And so there's an incredible synergy between the partnership. Um, I think it's going to um, not only enhance the, the production and the broadcast of our show, it's really much more interesting when you can see odds on what an upcoming fight is, um, as well as the enjoyment from, from consuming the, the live show itself. So uh, a lot of upside, and uh, I think it's going to do really well for, for both of our brands. Now, Dana's mentioned uh, the, the big year that 2020 was for the UFC, how it was the most successful year to date. Without a live gate for nine months of the year, what were the biggest income streams that helped make it such a big year? You know, if you, if you get rid of gate, which I'm sure it plays a big factor, especially with Conor McGregor fights and, and the bigger fights that you guys hold, uh, where did that money come from? 
Well, I mean, first of all, you know, 2020 was a bit of an anomaly. So not, you know, not your typical year when you think about the restrictions that we had to uh, deal with. Um, you know, we had an, an enhanced partnership with our Abu Dhabi relationship, although, and, and Dana's talked about this, we've lost uh, lost a lot of money not being able to sell tickets. Um, I think we saw some meaningful increases, some strong improvements, uh, not only in the pay-per-view business, but the uh, you know TV viewership and our social media. Um, and so while there were a number of sort of revenue streams that were enhanced, um, we also stayed put. And so, you know, on a very basic level, we didn't have to spend as much money as we normally do in our efforts to build our brand globally around the world. We do have lost leading events. I mean, if you think about some of the, the places that we go to that are very far from Toronto, or very far from Las Vegas, very, very expensive to put on these international events. And we do it because we're interested in building the brand and building the sport. We've got true aspirations of being a, a global a global sport. And, and you know, for us, uh, being here and staying at the Apex and having our events here, uh, you know, allowed us to, to save quite a bit of money. Um, and so, you know, we'll continue some of this through through 2021. But as I mentioned before, I mean, we're really interested in getting back on the road and, and reconnecting firsthand with our fans in China and our fans in Argentina and the Brazilian fans, our fans all around the world that have made the sport um, what it is today. So I guess one misconception is people look at the gate and they think that's net, you know, net gross or whatever. <laughs> you know, they think that that's money that you guys are taking in. They, they forget about the production costs, travel costs, accommodations, all of that. So sometimes there are events that lose money. Absolutely. And, you know, we talked about the, the all the benefits of the apex that Craig Borsari and, and Dana have, have put together. You know, one of one of the um, one of the sort of the big ideas that we have and we're not too far off is, you know, we, we can because of, you know, how this broadcast operation center is set up in the apex, you know, we'll be able to produce live events almost remotely in the not too distant future. You know, it's obviously going to depend on the level, uh, the quality of, of, you know, the bandwidth and, and the fiber that exists in an arena in a different country that we're situated in. But, you know, we don't have to travel as many people. We can send the feedback to the Apex here, produce the show in multiple languages, Spanish, Portuguese, English here at the Apex, and then send it up for broadcasters to take on. So, uh, you know, I think there's there's a number of ways that, it, that our business has changed through 2020. And I think once we get through it, we're going to be a lot stronger and a lot more nimble moving forward. This week uh, marks the beginning of a new era in terms of uniform for the UFC. The Venom deal kicks in. Uh, at this next event, it's already kicked in. You can buy the uh, the fight tickets yep. online already. Um, but part of that is you have licensed merchandise, which is being done by Zappos, if I'm not mistaken. What's going to be right. the big difference between people being able to buy UFC licensed apparel and and UFC, I guess, fight apparel? So, I mean, the big difference, first of all, is you know our partnership with Zappos is is you know they're the worldwide you know distributor of of officially licensed UFC gear predominantly you know geared towards fans predominantly focused on fans so whether you know men's women's youth hats shoes uh, hoodies um, I think the clear distinction is you know any kind of fan based apparel um, we'll be working with with Zappos on which is a, a nice partnership con considering they're you know a Vegas born and bred company that's done incredibly well in, in the world um, our relationship with Venom kicks off this weekend and the focus is on our athletes and I think you know, we think about the the credibility and how groundbreaking the Reebok partnership was in helping clean up our sport and polish the image a bit, uh, provide you know um, more technically advanced gear um, in competition and out of competition for our athletes. You know, one big plus for us 
with Venom is now we're partnered with a group of individuals that have a long um, tenure, a very long experience working in mixed martial arts. And and that shouldn't be overlooked. I, I think these people, it sounds kind of funny, but it's almost like, you know, you know, for MMA, by MMA. And it's important because, you know, the Venom team has been, you know, living and breathing mixed martial arts for such a long time. They know exactly what a, a mixed martial arts athlete, you know, needs to 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 wear in order to compete at the highest level. And I think that's a huge step up for us in this next chapter of our athlete apparel policy. You see a lot of people in, you know, walking around in, in malls in the streets or whatever that, that wear NBA jerseys, NFL jerseys. Uh, we don't see a lot of people wearing UFC fight kits. Do you think that that will change at some point in time, that people will start wearing that kind of UFC gear more often? Yeah, yeah, that's funny. I hadn't really thought about, you know, someone walking around with an Austin Matthews jersey and comparing it to, you know, a GSP um, Reebok or now Venom um, shirt. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think there's designs both in the aesthetic and the brand and then in the quality and the materials that are um, – you know, geared towards the athletic competition side of it. There's no doubt in my mind that some of the designs, some of the new lines that will be coming out are probably much more sort of street friendly, much more fan friendly, um, and are suited more to, you know, the casual kind of day-to-day wearing than it would be for competition within uh, an octagon. Um, so, you know, that's, that's, that's probably the best way to answer that question. The UFC is uh, dipping its toes into the NFT space. Well, I wouldn't say dipping its toes. You guys are working with Dapper, the biggest company for these NFTs. Um, I've been using NBA Top Shot recently. I really enjoy yeah. the platform. Uh, tell me a little cool. bit about the UFC's venture into NFTs and when you think that's going to launch. Yeah, so we announced the deal with Dapper pre-COVID. It's a little over a year ago. And we had been working, we have been working with them over that time period to really be able to launch uh, you know, the best product that we can. Um, you know, we're still a few months away. I think there's still a, a bit of hard work that needs to be get done to, to launch properly. Um, but it is really cool space. And, you know, you think of kind of the darling of the industry right now uh, in NBA Top Shots, and there's a huge community that's after these NFTs, that's after, you know, these moments that they can preserve or crystallize in their digital wallets, uh, you know, until such time that they want to sell it. And I think there's a lot of sports out there where, it makes a lot of sense. I don't believe that there's a sport better suited to this than ours. You know, it's great having, you know, I think I own a Kyle Lowry dunk of some kind and, and a few others. Um, you know, for me, you think about some of the big moments in the UFC's history that lend itself so well to um, a digital trading card like this. And, you know, whether it's, I don't know, like, a you know, Connor knocking out Aldo I think of Masvidal, or right Jones. What's that? I think of Masvidal. Masvidal and Askren, I think, is the one. Yeah, Masvidal yeah. knee, John Jones submitting Machida up against the cage. I mean, all those moments are, you know, as kind of memorable and, and visceral as you can imagine. And to own that, I think the value of those digital trading cards, these NFTs, are going to surpass, you know, most other sports because they're so important to the overall competition. There's a lot of, you know, I don't want to compare ourselves to other sports. There's a lot of dunks. There's a lot of like, you know, bar down shots in, in hockey. There's a lot of, you know, home runs or grand slams. You know, these key moments that you can think of that have happened over UFC history, I think are going to be far more sought after and much more coveted than, um, than potentially other sports. I, I, I may be wrong. The other thing that's really cool is that you think about some of the moments outside of competition that would 
you know, would lend itself well to this. I mean, you know, we talked about Connor before. Maybe it's, you know, him grabbing all those belts on the on the world tour or, you know, the DC and, and Jones face off at the MGM, which went awry, uh, you know, or the Masvidal Diaz press conference. I mean, those types of things we can take we can take not I guess the point is we can take non sports moments and and put them into a digital trading card and those still have significant value for the fan base. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very much looking forward to it. Uh, and like you mentioned, I mean, the NBA's 82 games plus playoffs plus All-Star games. Uh, you know, in the UFC, you've got guys fighting three, four times a year. And if they have a highlight, uh, I think, you know, like, again, like you mentioned, people are going to want that highlight because there aren't going to be that many more, right? Like, I'm sure there will be kind of more low-level ones like a jab and things of that, that nature. But in, in terms of a great fight finish, uh, there's really nothing else like it in sports. Absolutely. And then, you know, going back to the conversation we were having earlier about being a truly global sport, um, you know, built on blockchain technology, we're not really bound by any geography or language. And so I think the popularity, whether it's in Brazil or Australia or it's in the UK or it's in Russia, I mean, these things are going to have value to fans all around the world. Now, we're always talking business, and I know you're a big fight fan. So let me ask you, uh, you know, a question about the upcoming fights. What, which one are you most looking forward to? There's a lot of great fights on the horizon. Is there one that you just can't wait to watch? Um, it's a really good question. I'm really interested to see what Masvidal can do after some preparation after last July against Guzman. I think that's that's pretty compelling to me. Um, I'm not sure whether this was in our kind of preamble or in the beginning of the, the interview, but you did mention the name Tristan Connolly, and to see him come back after such a long layoff I think is great that – fight against Pereira um, back in Vancouver, you know, was, was you know, one of my favorite moments of, of the last couple of years. Um, you know, a number of Canadian athletes come up. We've had, you know, on the Canadian side, if you think about uh, the Barrio or um, the Jordan or um, the uh, Zahabi, all three have had some pretty memorable finishes in the last few months. And I think that sets up well for... You know, the MacDessy fight this weekend, you got Felicia Spencer coming up in June. I'm really excited to see Tanner Bozer uh, come back. Um, on the kind of non-Canadian side, you know, very excited for Rose and Zhang Weili. Um, I think that's going to be an important fight um, for, well, obviously a very, very important fight for both of them. We've invested heavily, you know, in China in the last little while. So I'm very excited to see what the reaction is and what the fan base that, that shows up or how big the fan base that shows up to watch. Zhang Weili fight uh, is going to be. So number of great fights uh, on the horizon. Um, I'm just really excited to get to Jacksonville because to be in an arena with 15,000 people for the first time in uh, really over a year um, since that uh, since the fight here in Vegas in March of 2020, um, it's been a long time coming and, and we're very psyched for it. And was one of the reasons why you guys were so excited about getting back to a full arena outside, of course, of the, of the ambiance and the, the incredible, uh, the fans are going to be just have all this pent up excitement from not being able to attend all these events. But basically the government, if, if they're saying, I guess the commission and the state, if they're saying that it's okay, that's, you know, that's kind of on them, right? Right. Like, I, I don't think that obviously the safety of the patrons is important, but, Absolutely. They, for, but for the UFC, I think it's more that you're relying on, on the guidance of the state, correct? Um, I mean, not necessarily that we're relying on it. We're, very, we're working very closely with, you know, the city, uh, the municipality and, and the venue and, and, and the health authority in, 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 in both cities that we've got upcoming events. Um, it's important for us to have the right health and safety procedures in place. 
Um, you know, yes, this is about our athletes. Yes, this is about our staff. It's absolutely about the fans in attendance. And, you know, I don't think we would go anywhere where we were uncomfortable or unsure of the health and safety requirements. And so our team working very closely, we should have, you know, some details coming out in, in you know, the next maybe week or so uh, about, you know, the requirements for, for Jacksonville and how, you know, stringent the health and safety requirements are, are going to be. Um, but yes, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I think we were just excited to get back to a venue with full fans. There's nothing like being in a venue that's got the electricity or the energy and the intensity of a UFC fan base. And it's been missing for a while. You know, our athletes have been missing it. Dana's been missing it. And, um, you know, while, while it's, there, there's going to be really a short list of cities we can go to in the next few months, uh, we're incredibly excited for, for Jacksonville and Houston. Now, I know Dana, from a production standpoint, wants to see the full building. But uh, in Abu Dhabi, when you guys had 20 or 30 percent capacity, it sounded like it was a full house, which was really cool. It did. <laughs> yeah, it did. And and that was, a I think, of just you know, a precursor of, of what's to come. It was nice. It was also very strange. Um, I haven't been to a Golden Knights here game here yet um, since they've been back in the last month or so. Uh, we've had a few colleagues that have gone. And listen, it is a bit strange on one side. It's very cool to kind of feel like, you know, you're part of this exclusive club, being able to watch a pro sports team play. You know, if you're looking at any of the Masters coverage on today and there's some aerial shots of Augusta and I don't know how many fans are letting in. I I heard on a podcast that it was, you know, no more than 10,000 a day, which is probably, um, I don't know, maybe it's like uh, 20 percent. I'm not sure what the number is, but I think it's no more than 10,000 a day. And it just looks it looks like it's like a private event. And that's, I think, how some of my colleagues have described going to the hockey here. Um, it was a bit strange in Abu Dhabi. It was nice having some fans and they certainly stepped up and acted like there were 15 or 20,000 fans. Um, but, yeah, we're going to be excited when the house is full. All right, Dave. Well, I always love catching up with you and uh, learning more about the business whenever I get the chance. Thanks for doing this. Hopefully we get to see each other in person very soon. Absolutely, Aaron. Thanks very much for the time. And, uh, yeah, anytime. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. He's in the main event this weekend. It airs on ABC in the U.S., TSN in Canada. It's Marvin Vittori taking on Kevin Holland, a very good short-notice opponent. Where do you think Kevin Holland could give you problems based on what you've seen from him? Kevin Holland is uh, wild, you know, so I feel like he goes into a fight without even knowing what he's going to do. So if he doesn't know, you know, it's kind of too, kind of hard to kind of guess what he's going to do. But so that's probably the main thing, but... You know, I'm prepared. I'm prepared for every whatever that happens in there. And um, you know, some of the skills that you got to train, it's also the ability to adjust and um, to be able to deal with this kind of thing. So I'm really prepared, and that's what matters. And um, yeah, man, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Whatever he brings to the table, I'll um, I'm just gonna run through. Does that make him a better short-notice opponent? Because he's a difficult guy to train for anyways. You may as well take him on short notice since he's unpredictable regardless. No, nah, I mean, you know, like I still, it doesn't really change much. You know, like when I'm ready, it's, it, it, you know, I, I focus on myself. When I'm ready, it's, uh, it's whatever, you know, whoever is there in front of me, it's, it's going to get it. And, um, yeah, I mean, I'm like, like to be honest, it really comes down for me to being ready. When I'm ready, I don't care. Well, you're a very passionate guy, and I imagine that you don't like getting bad news. So Ali Abdelaziz, your your manager, calls you, tells you that Darren Till's out of the fight. What's your reaction? 
I'm like, fucking hell. Again, 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 I'm doing my job and this guy cannot show up. How long is this is this thing going to last? You know? That's the first reaction. I'm like, fucking hell. Like, how? How? Two weeks out. I'm counting the days. And again, yeah, I don't know, man. The more the the more the time that goes by, the more I'm suspicious about suspicious about this thing, you know. But I'm really focused on Holland right now. But we'll see. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see out there until I I, I want to see. I want to see the picture, you know. I want to see X-rays pictures. I, I was expecting him. I was expecting him to to show a little bit more, not just oh, I broke my collarbone. See you later, guys. Well, you know, at least I'm fighting. At least I'm fighting. It's not like the Carl Roberson situation where you had to confront him in the lobby because he was pulling out of the fight, having trouble with weight cuts. <laughs> at, least, at least you have an opponent coming up that, that, that you have yeah, a chance to, uh, to deal with. Carl Roberson, like, you cannot get worse than that. It can't get worse than Carl Roberson, you know? <laughs> well, the, like, only, the only way little, it's worse little, is if it's fight day. Pain. Oh, medical team, oh, I'm about to die. Yeah, I think the only way you can get worse is if it's fight day. If it's the day before fight day, that's the second worst. But the worst would be yeah. if you're if you're like oh, hours like away. We, yeah, we've seen it all. Like we've we've seen it all in MMA. Like people about well, you know, it happened how long, not too long ago. The guy about to walk out, and then the guys in the cage and stuff, and uh, that's that's insane. That's, that's your insane. division too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's insane. I, I fell for that guy for sure. I fell for that guy. Well, a situation that happened to his training partner, Kelvin Gaslam, was supposed to face Whitaker, went all the way to Australia, yeah. day of, and yeah, now he's actually I, rebooked yeah. for Whitaker. Yeah, that's crazy. That's absolutely insane. Is it weird to have a training partner that's on a very similar trajectory to you? I mean, Kelvin Gaslam is now right back in the title mix. He's facing uh, Robert Whitaker, and you guys are, are basically right in the same spot right now. It's really not, though. It's really not. Like, Kelvin is the nicest guy ever, man. Like... I don't think it would be weird even if we had to fight each other. We like we <laughs> we go at it in the gym a lot of times, so I don't think it would be that I don't think it would be that weird. I don't think nobody no no none of us would, would want to leave uh Kings and I don't know, maybe we'll we'll try the last few weeks not to catch up, you know. We're definitely maybe not gonna spar against each other, but in the in the eventuality of a of a of a, of a title fight. But you know, see, like, if it was two people like me, I think there would have been a problem. You know, I, I, I'm honest with you on this. But because of Kelvin, Kelvin is the nicest guy ever. I don't think it would be any, there, there wouldn't be any weirdness in the, in the, in the buildup to the fight, you know, eventually. So I'm not really, I'm not really worried about it. I wish him the best. I know he wishes me the best and, uh, We'll, we'll worry about it. And it, it's a good thing to worry in the, in the eventuality, you know? So, yeah, I, I, you're, you're one of a kind, brother. I don't think you could have two Marvin Vittori's in a gym. I don't think that would go very well. <laughs> exactly. I wouldn't, I wouldn't like another guy like me in the gym. Man. Well, that's what makes you and Kelvin a good mix, like you said. Kelvin's very laid back, yeah. very calm. And you know what? It says a lot about uh, uh, Rafael Cordero and Kings MMA that you guys are both right there in the mix. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now we're coming up. Benio is coming up and it's going to do great. Giga, Giga Chikadze is coming up and it's going to do great. Urosh, uh, you know, me and Kelvin, Danilo Marquez, you know, it's, we, we're, we're, all, we're all coming to take over, you know.
Now, I heard you uh, talk about Kevin Holland in an interview. It was actually before you were booked with him. You, you talked about his fight with Brunson. You said there wasn't an elite fighter in the cage that night. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? No, because uh, he showed massive holes in both games. Like, one guy was strictly wrestling. The other guy was strictly striking. There wasn't an overall uh, solidness, let's put it that way, in their game. And um, I don't think it was a great main event. You know, so that's that's you know that's why that's why I said what I said, and I and I still believe it that today. And I, and I mean, I'll prove Saturday night that I'm on a different level. How many elite fighters are there in the middleweight division, in your opinion? Three, four, maybe. Yeah, I mean, like um, Israel is good. Um, you know, his game on his own way of being uh, on his way of fighting. And then um, Whitaker, I respect Whitaker's style. You know, he's, he's a solid fighter. Um, Aaron Till, I don't know his mindset. I don't know. <laughs> um, and then uh, I respect Jerk Manson and Kelvin. And uh, I mean, I don't know about Jared Cannon yet, like he, how, how, he, how he's going to be like. But they're like, you know, like these guys are good. I, I don't think Paolo believe, belongs to the top five, to be honest with you. And um, and the others are. Without that Israel fight that Paulo Costa had, it, to me it looked like he was a guy that had uh, elite fighting skills. What do you do? You think that uh, we just didn't see him against the best guys, and that's why he looked good? Yeah, not not. I mean, I, look, I was there for the. Uh, I don't know, man. I have highest. I have high standards. I'm really hard on myself too. I'm I'm the like I always I'm always I always say this like I'm the hardest guy on myself too. Like. You know, like so. You know what? What? What I say maybe to other people is like, like you know, like oh yeah, but you know, there's very few fighters in general that are good the way you say. But to me, a great fighter has to be really solid in every area. Uh, he can go. Yeah, he, he has to. He needs to go five rounds. He has to be like, you know, really prepared physically, mentally, and then and 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 uh, and technically and. Um, I don't think Paulo Costa is there. Even I, I remember watching that fight with Rio Romero live, and uh, I don't think he won nowadays. You know, still, still now, and uh, he gassed on the third, and he pushed through. But the skills are—they're not—they're they're not elite. I was doing my podcast with uh, Joe Valtellini. He's the uh, the play-by-play, or sorry, the color commentator for Glory. And uh, we were talking about after the fact, uh, after the Jan fight with Israel, who, you know, who do you think at middleweight has the best chance of beating Israel now that we've seen him lose? And I said it was you. I said it was Marvin Vittori. And the reason why is because I think your skills are very similar to what Jan Blahovic brings. And we got to see a couple things that Israel doesn't do as well as I think people would have liked to, to see, uh, I guess, have seen him do against Jan Blahovic. When you were watching that fight, were you thinking the same way? Were you thinking, I've got a lot of similarities here? Yeah, and I'm and I'm a complete change fighter. I know he improved for sure too, but I, I think I improved more than what he did. And um, yeah, man. I mean, yeah, I think I think I can do better than what Jan did to to Israel. To be honest with you, but um, yeah, he showed that you know, like, man, I train like I train with with killers and 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 and. Uh, uh, you know, I focus a lot. Like I train a lot of boxing too lately, and I'm training with world champions, and and I'm seeing skills that like you know 
they're, they're way above like uh, and I, and I know I can deal and do good with people who has who have skills that are are way better than than Israel and uh, and yeah he's a good fighter but, but he's not like in like you know he's not like crazy like I you know I, I think okay I, I think I can outstrike him I think I can like I'm gonna be able to see whatever he throws and and, and trick him into striking you know I don't <laughs> That's the funny part, but um, you know, I, I, it's coming, it's coming, and I and I, I'm gonna show it. How well do you sleep the night before a fight? Oh, the, the night before I sleep like a baby because, like sometimes um, before the the wins, I can't, you know, not many people don't. I mean, me me for sure, but it's a a lot of fighters. I know they don't sleep too well, and me too. So the night after, which is the night before the fight, I make up for all the sleep that I that I haven't that I have to make up for from the night before, and I sleep like like last time I slept like eleven hours almost. That's very rare because a lot of fighters will say they have a lot of trouble sleeping the night before a fight because they're either anxious or nervous. Uh, but you don't have any of that. No, man. Like uh, it's. I kind of enjoy it. It's like you're full. You're like you're uh, the belly's full. And uh, no, man, it's Friday. It's a it's happy day for me. Like it just it's time finally to go. It's what you've been waiting for. It's extremely it's extremely like uh, intense. It's extremely like uh, you know uh, calculated and 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 I have to be extremely uh, on point. But at the end of the day, it's uh, it's it's what I love the most. It's it's go time. It's go time. So it's almost like, you know, like the calm before the storm. Just just enjoy the calm because tomorrow is gonna be war. You know. It's interesting because the things you're saying are things that would keep most people up. <laughs> like like you put in all this work. <laughs> if the fight's coming up. You got all these things on your mind. You're trying to visualize what's gonna happen in the fight. And uh... no nah, man, I, I, <laughs> that's what I say. I'm on a different level. Like look. If you visualize, you have to visualize uh, uh, consciously, you know. You sit down, you say, okay, now I'm going to visualize. When you go to bed, you prepare yourself to go to bed and you go to bed. And I know it's easier said than done, but it's, you know, you have to work on that. It's, uh, you know, and I do. And the night before the fight, to me, it's, I sleep very good. Yeah, so last question, uh, coming off of what you just said, I've heard you talk a lot in interviews about mental preparation, about all of the different work that you do to prepare yourself mentally for a fight, not just physically. What are some of the things that you do to, uh, to get your, your mind right going into a fight, uh, to, to you know, calm your nerves and to make sure that you've got uh, full mental preparation going into uh, a competition? You know, like, mainly the thing that, you, that, uh, that, that, that I do is to be aware of what goes on here rather than what goes on. I mean, of course, you have to be aware of what goes on on the outside, but you also have to be aware of what goes on to, into your mind. And so, and a lot of it comes from knowing yourself, you know. You cannot know yourself if you haven't put yourself in in really hard situation and, and know how you dealt with it. And, uh, yeah, man, it's, it's, it's constant training. It's, it's, uh, it's a thing that has to be cultivated it's like every day and you you know you you i don't know you kind of like you know how to like the mind cannot be forced so it has to be has to be controlled and 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 you and it has to be 
tricked at times. And it's almost like, like it's a constant, it's a constant relation that you have with yourself. And, um, and so I do, and, 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 and I work on it. And, uh, you know, throughout my career, I had many fights and, and I know how to, uh, channel the energy and, 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 and bring, and bring the, the, the mental side to the right spot before, before I fight. And, um, yeah, man, I mean, it's great. And then, and then, then, you know, that, like I said, the mind can, can be forced. So if, you know, you have, you have to, you have to know how to deal with times when you cannot, when you cannot bring it to the place that you want to bring it, you still have to be comfortable with that, you know? And, um, that's it. Well, Marvin, you're a very rare breed of fighter. I always enjoy speaking with you. You're very enlightening. And I look forward to watching you compete. It's the Saturday afternoon. Yourself, Kevin Holland, in the main event. Thanks for doing this. Always appreciate it. Thank you very much, man. Thank you. Let's go. I'm now joined by Kevin Holland. He's in the main event for the second time in just a few weeks versus Marvin Vittori. And I thought that the last fight was a good example of how fickle mixed martial arts fans are. Because you were still Kevin Holland in there. You were still, you know, talking. You were still piecing up Derek Brunson on the feet. All of the things that people liked about you, they seemed to turn on you for. Is that how you felt after the fight? No, it's not how I felt. It's the truth. You know what I mean? There's nothing, there's no feeling behind this. You know, they, they didn't like what they seen last fight, so we'll give them something different this fight. It's part of being an entertainer. Have to have several styles of entertainment. Yeah, but what changed? Nothing. I mean, that's the weird thing about it. You were still being yourself. You're still doing what you did best in there. You were, you were doing a good job on the feet against Derek Brunson. Uh, but for whatever reason, people weren't, weren't satisfied, weren't happy. Uh, why do you think that was? Is it just because you, the fight didn't go your way ultimately? Yeah, of course. You know what I mean? Had I knocked him out, they all would be glorifying me, you know, riding the, riding the jock as hard as they can. But that didn't happen. So, therefore, they're upset, rightfully so. You know, this is what happens when you uh, you put your favorite fighter against the worst fighter in the division. You know what I mean? Probably the worst fighter on the roster, the most boring fighter on the roster. You know, uh, when your favorite fighter doesn't get it done, everybody uh, everybody has a right to be disappointed. Everybody has a right to be sad. Uh, what they don't have a right to do is they don't have a right to talk to me crazy because they lost some money. I lost way more money than all those bums ever did. I'm trying to remember who uh, who it was recently that said uh, it was Sean, uh, Sean O'Malley actually said, "But bet on my opponent. Don't bet on don't bet on me. Bet on Almeida because whenever someone loses, it's always the people that bet on them that come after them the, the, in the most fierce fashion." Yeah, you know these guys are crying because they lost a couple hundred dollars. I lost seventy nine k. It's a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, for this particular fight against Marvin Vittori, do you feel like stylistically it's a, a fight that will be more conducive to entertaining the fans? Well, you never know until you get in there. You know what I mean? It's like uh, I get in there and he could possibly look to hump the whole night. So we'll see. You know, we'll see when we get in there. You know, it's all up to me to make it entertaining. It's not up to the other guy because I am the entertainer and they're just simply here to uh, play fight. Well, I like what you said after the last fight. You know, people were, were saying, oh, man, he really, he really blew an opportunity of the title. And you said, don't put that on me. You're the one who, who's talking about the opportunity for the title. That's not, I never mentioned the title. <laughs> so with that in mind, uh, like what, what ultimately is, is the goal? Like, uh, I'm, I'm sure the title probably long term is the goal. But right now, if, if they said, Kevin, what do you want to do for the next year, for 2021? What's your goal? Same goal. It's always been stack as many bodies inside my trunk as I can. You know, I have four cars. 
That's a lot of cars I can put bodies in trunks. I have two other cars that don't even really run. So I have plenty of, plenty of spaces to stuff these bodies. And the only goal that I've had so far has been to stuff these bodies inside trunks, you know. But now, since everybody keeps crying about these, these belts, I guess my goal is not enough. So I'll go out and I'll, I'll snatch that. Maybe not 2021, but by 2022, I'm a better man. It'll be around my waist. More it's likely on is quantity more important to you, though? Like, to, to fight more fights over the course of a year, does that mean more to you? If they said, Kevin, you can have one more fight this year. It's going to be against a top five guy in your division. Or you're going to have four more fights this year against whoever we, we hand-select. What, what would your choice be? It'd be those four more fights against whoever they hand-select. Because whoever they hand-select is going to be people who put butts in seats. And it's going to be top five, top ten people. It's not going to be anybody bumish. You know what I mean? By any means necessary. It's going to be people who've only lost to the champ or who's in position to fight the champ sooner or later. So, you know, it's like, uh, I always take the more, I never take the less. I'm a hard worker. I don't believe in just sitting on my butt. They showed a feature on you uh, during the last fight that you're, you're kind of a sneakerhead. What's the farthest you've gone to pick up a pair of shoes? The furthest I've gone to pick up a pair of shoes. We live in the era of mail. So they mail me shoes. <laughs> I thought I saw that you had gone on flights and stuff. You had gone and you, you're willing to drive around and do local pickup. But yeah, I guess in, in, in this era, you can just order them on eBay or whatever and they show up at your house. But ha have you gone out? Have you gone far to a store or gone to any specific sneaker stores that have uh, made you venture pretty far from home? Look, Kevin Holland has done a lot of things. But right now you're talking to Trailblazer and Trailblazer has never bought a pair of sneakers in his life. So therefore, I can't help you with that right now. You know, the only thing I can help you with is me going out there and bashing somebody's head in. We can talk about that, but the sneakers, the sneakers are irrelevant at this moment in time. Okay, so next week I can ask you about sneakers if I get some time with you. Yeah, next week you want to get some time with me, you can ask me about sneakers, you can ask me about diamonds, you can ask me about chains, you can ask me about all the hot girls that are in my inbox right now. But today, yeah, we will ask about stuffing bodies in trunk and killing people, and that's, that's all we need to re refrain to. All right, well, so we'll shift to Marvin Vittori. We'll shift away from girls and cars and shoes. We're going to go to Marvin Vittori. I don't know if our audience is going to like this quite as much, but we'll talk about Marvin Vittori. Uh, in terms of his skill set, what do you think he's best at? If you were to say, you know, grade every single one of his attributes, what, what gets the highest grade for Marvin Vittori? Crying and complaining, you know. Crying and complaining about things that he can't control, that is his best attribute. Now, if we're talking about firing, his best attribute is that he has a big head. He might be able to absorb a lot of these punches. We'll see exactly how many he can absorb before he goes down. Now, I had asked him earlier this week how many hours of sleep he gets before a fight. And he says he gets 11 hours of sleep the night before a fight. Now, I know a lot of fighters have a lot of trouble sleeping uh, in the night before a fight. What about you? What's, what's the night before a fight like for you on the Friday night? Spreads like we're in prison, and then I go to bed ready to beat John John up the next day. In this case, it'll be Marvin. So I'm not really worried about sleeping. I'm more worried about getting in there and sniping this man's head off. If he wants to sleep, don't worry. If he doesn't get his full 11 before he gets in a cage... I'll grant him a couple more hours after I knock him the fuck out. All right, so uh, I know you don't like talking about the betting side of things, but I, I'm going to give you some odds on on something. So over one and a half welterweight fights for you this year in 2021. You said what? Over? Are you going to have over one and a half welterweight fights? So are you going to have more than one and a half welterweight fights this year? One and a half? There's no such thing as a half thing when you're when you're fighting. Well, so, but if, so it's sorry. So let, let me let me be specific. So it's over under. So over one and a half would be two or more. Under one and a half would be one. 170 pound fights. Yes. We're focused on Marvin Vittori. 
other than what happens this night, I can't tell you. you know, it's like I have my glasses on. You know what I mean? I can see only what's in front of me. When I don't have my glasses on, I can see the future. But I'm keeping my glasses on. Is that something different that you've done for this fight? Because typically you've been willing to talk about, you know, here, there, and everywhere. But right now you seem laser-focused. That's what you guys asked for. That's what the people wanted. And that's what the people are going to receive, laser focus. We're tuned in. We're, we're, we're focused on what's ahead of us, and that's it. I don't want any excuses after this fight. So we're focused. And in there, are you just going to let it flow? I mean, people, again, criticized you for talking during that fight and all that. I have a feeling you're, we're still going to see the same Kevin Holland in there, just a little bit more disciplined, listening to your corner a little bit more. Is that what the plan is? The game plan is to kill or be killed. And that's simply all it is. You know, it's like if I can kill this man before this man kills me, then we're happy. Focus, lasers, all those things, you know. The night of the fight, just tune in and watch me work. All right. Well, we appreciate your time, Kevin. It's on ABC this weekend in the States on TSN here in Canada. Uh, your main event starts probably around 530 uh, on the East Coast. Uh, really appreciate your time and uh, thanks for doing this. No, I appreciate you. Thank you. I'm now joined by Mackenzie Dern, taking the big step this weekend, facing a top five opponent in Nina Ansarov, who's had about a two-year layoff. So, Mackenzie, this particular fight is obviously huge for you. But do you feel like you're ready to be facing people in the top three, top two, like that, that upper echelon of the strawweight division? Definitely, you know, even my last fight that I fought Drina, she was number, she's number 13. We were asking for like top 10, someone, you know, higher ranked than me. Uh, but because of the pandemic and, you know, just injuries and things like that, it was hard to find um, some options that could fight in December and especially for the day that we wanted. You know, I had like two fights and I really wanted to take advantage of the momentum that I had. Um, so Vina was the, one of the girls that were able to fight in December. So it was OK. You know, I'm, I'm so happy. What I think was the best thing that happened to me was have that fight and be able to show kind of this my striking and things like that. But after that, I said, okay, Mick, please, someone like the top 10, anyone, you know, but someone higher ranked than me. So when they offered me Nina, of course, I'm so happy because I love the, I love Nina, I love Amanda. They're such great girls. I have so much respect for them. Um, she's a mom, a recent mom too. And then of course, when I saw like, okay, she's number five ranked. So this is really going to be a big step for me. The first the first girl I fought that's higher ranked than me, you know, so um, I'm really, really excited for this fight and this opportunity to really show that I'm ready. And, you know, I I'm at like such a good part of my time in my life. Everything's in, I have good structure around me and the right people around me. Um, I really like see the belt, you know, I, of course I'm focused just on Nina, just on Nina Saturday, you know, but I can feel like the belt's getting close. You know, it's funny, you look at the strawweight division, and there's only been really four women that have been at the top of that division for the last three years. You've got Andraj, uh, who's now at flyweight. You've got uh, Wei Li, Rose, uh, and Joanna. What, what do you think makes it so hard for people to cross that threshold to get to that upper echelon? Because it seems like it's a very exclusive club right now. Yeah, I mean, you see even like Rose, you know, she was she was a champ, you know. Uh, Carla Sparza, who's fighting, you know. Um, she was an ex. She was the very first champ, you know. So even like in the top five, it's basically or the or they were a champ or an ex champ, you know. Um, it's very few people really can break that um, thing, like that barrier, like you said, you know. I think just 
just because you know their division is still pretty raw you know there's not so many girls you, you see like now the contender series we got a lot of um i think they win like five more girls came into the strawberry division so i think that we're kind of in the middle of a change in generations on the strawberry division you know and i think i mean i'm i'm in here at a good time and i'm just going up and i think you know me and nina we're gonna decide a, a lot of things on this next fight you know for or her or for me or you know really break what whatever and and the girls actually rose i think fights next weekend with the champ uh zhang Weili and Carla fights, I think, the week after that. So a lot of things are going to happen in the next couple of weeks for the strawweight division. You mentioned the changing of the guards, some of the younger generation of the strawweight. Who else do you see in that group with yourself? Who are some of the younger, uh, talented fighters in the strawweight division who you think are future contenders? Uh, I mean, right now, kind of like on my generation, I think like me, Marino Rodriguez, uh, Amanda Rivas, um, Tisha Torres. You know, Tisha, she's been in, she's been, since the beginning, you know, but I think Tisha's kind of just got like a new, uh, kind of renewing herself and she's becoming like this kind of new fighter. Um, and then from the new, the new generation, I don't know her name. I saw her, she fought Kay Hansen. She was on the contender series. She's, she's Corey the youngest McKenna. one. Yeah, man, she's, she's tough girl. I, I saw, she's a tough girl. I saw her fighting, you know, and she's young and, I, I think that she has a lot of potential in the, in the division. Have people stopped bugging you about your weight in interviews? That used to be what everybody would ask you about. And now it seems like that's an, an old... It's like with Henry Cejudo. Everybody used to ask Henry Cejudo, and then it just became a, a thing of the past. No one has said anything about it. That's, so, that's actually the first time I'm, I sat here to think about it. Was you asking me? No one asked me anything about my weight. Like, oh, so how's your weight? Nothing, you know? I'm the one who's actually talking about my weight like, Okay, so this camp, I gained more muscle, and I'm so excited, you know, and everything like that. So that's that's cool. I'm really excited about that. Finally, woo! <laughs> yeah, that's good to hear. Yeah, it's like Henry, he he kept missing weight, and then finally, he just was making it all the time, and nobody bothered him about it anymore. Now, no, nobody even remembers really that he had that issue early on in his career. He just became triple C and won all those belts. Hopefully, the same <laughs> fate for you. Hopefully, you win the strawweight belt and the flyweight belt, and and uh, of course, world jujitsu champions. You can become the female triple C. Woo, I hope so. That's that's a good that's a good um uh a good dream, you know. I'm definitely gonna go go for that. But for me just if people can forget about um you know that that past, you know, that's something that I tried to like never relive, you know, I'm so so happy. So and I think people can tell, you know, like, okay, no, she's focused now and you know and I think that's the most important, you know, so that people can like respect me and see the new Mackenzie kind of thing. I've been asking fighters this uh, a lot recently because it seems everybody has a different answer. What is it like for you Friday night before a fight? What are your nerves like? Are you able to sleep? What are you thinking about? Um, the Friday night before the fight, I I can sleep, but not too good. I don't sleep like, you know, I don't go to sleep early. I sleep maybe like midnight. Um, just try to like get myself to get tired. But you get just those butterflies, you know, you get anxious, you get excited uh eat of course i get to eat that's the that's the good part you know you kind of you sleep good because you know when you get to sleep you get to sleep good because you have like a full stomach and uh you know you're hydrated and all these things and yeah that's about it i mean i i, I don't get too like nervous anymore i just get more anxious um but now actually the fight is going to be like 12 12 in the afternoon we we i think i'll fight 12 30 in the afternoon so I think this is the earliest I've ever I've ever fought you know so I wonder how my sleep will be like knowing that at 8 
30, I have to, like, wake up, and 10, I need to be, like, leaving the hotel to go to the fight, you know? So I think it will be similar to, like, training, you know? Like, I'm back home, but I think the guys in Abu Dhabi were fighting, like, 3 a.m. or something. So it's all experiences that we go through. <laughs> yeah, weight cutting must really suck because every fighter I ask about that, they always mention food. They always say, I, I eat, I get to eat on Friday. That's, like, the, that's what the, the Friday, the big event is for every single fighter. Yeah, I would say like, oh, I like to eat like, you know, some sweets, something like that. But maybe my strength trainer, he's watching. So I can't, I, I don't eat anything bad. You know, I'm, I'm a good eater. <laughs> Do you think that people forget about how good Nina Ansarov is? She hasn't fought in about two years. Her last fight against Tatiana Suarez was a very close fight. And she said she almost had to pull out of that fight because she had strep throat earlier in the week. Something that not a lot of people talk about. But uh, do you think that people just forget about how good she is? Because I don't hear her mentioned much uh, recently. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, I think who are real fans, you know, like, of the sport, they know how good she is. Uh, and I think, honestly, I think just with Amanda, you know, Amanda Nunes, she's so, she's, man, she's the GOAT, you know. So, so I think sometimes with Amanda Nunes, people are just, like, a lot of time talking about Amanda, man, and then they forget, like, man, like, and imagine Nina, who's with Amanda all the time, you know, like, Nina knows what it takes to be the best of the best, you know, and... You know, because you live with that person. So there's no way like that the lifestyle doesn't rub off on you, that the training, you don't push yourself like your your partner, you know, who's pushing themselves here to be the best and you have that same mentality, you know. So I think it's more like because Amanda has a lot of attention and she's, you know, obviously is more active during the time of the pregnancy and things like that. But I think who are true fans, you know, they know how, how good Nina is and how she is good at movement, her distance, and even take down the fans and strong punches. So I, I, I think the true fans know. <laughs> Since you came back after having the baby, uh, you've joined a new camp. What's the biggest difference between this camp with Jason Perello and the RVCA Center and your previous camp? Ah, it's just, um, I mean, more professional, you know. I think Jason, there's no comparison like Jason Perillo for my ex-coach, you know, Perillo's you know, Bisping, Chris Seaborg, BJ Penn, you know, Cheeto Verts, like all these Cheeto Tees, all these greats. Um, and he really, he really just knows how to, how to coach, you know, and he makes like the striking, he, he was able to make my striking seem like jujitsu for me, you know, I, I really understand like, okay, striking has its own world, just like jujitsu has, and you, you, you fake the person into going one way so you can punch them this way and how you set things together, transition things, and you see things that are happening and you control the, you know, and now he got that to me like so simply, you know, like he, it's crazy how how I have this good connection with him, you know, and I don't know if all the coaches, if he uh, has that connection with all his, his students, you know, I don't know, but definitely I, I'm so proud to be like, Perilla boxing and I think people are gonna see it. it they they saw a little bit on my last fight but really the whole connection came from this last this this camp you know so I think people are really gonna see that um on this fight and see how my hands can connect with my ground game and he 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 does that you know he doesn't like he really makes me prepare to fight that my fight you know he doesn't like try to make me fight his fight you know like oh just do what I say and that's it you know he he's he's setting everything up for me to go out there and fight, and if he doesn't need to say anything, I'll just do everything all by myself, you know? That's the type of coach he is, you know, to really get the fighter to just be able to do dance out there, you know? And that's that's great. That's the best feeling, you know? So if John Jones and Amanda Nunes and uh, Israel Adesanya were, were uh, 10 out of 10 in striking, what would you grade yourself before you went to Jason Perillo and now? Um, 
I say like before I went to Perilla, I was maybe like a like a four, and after Perilla, like now I think like a eight, seven, eight. Well, that's good. I'm glad you didn't say ten because that means there's a lot of room for growth, which it's good. Oh to, yeah, always room for growth in uh, in MMA. Definitely, definitely, and I mean, I I can be like as. Even if I'm a 10, you know, I'm still like a jiu-jitsu girl, you know? So even my 10 would be like a jiu-jitsu 10, you know, like a jiu-jitsu girl who's, you know, has the best best ability, but will always go to my jiu-jitsu, you know? I think I always risk my jiu-jitsu more than I risk my striking, you know? But, you know, it, one day if I reach 10, you know, I don't know, like champ material, I think I would just reach the 10 once I become the champion, you know? Uh, but it'll still be like a 10 for jiu-jitsu girl, you know? So imagine like, you know, John Jones and Holly Holm and these these who are strikers, you know, born strike, natural born strikers. You know, it's like I think there's a difference between like uh, my 10 and their 10. You felt the joy of uh, scoring a submission win many times in your in your career, both in jujitsu and MMA. Does it feel a lot better to, to get a knockout? Like, are you hoping for a lot more knockout benches in the future just because it'll be a different feeling and a different experience? Definitely, definitely. I'm I'm hoping for that to happen. You know, I had maybe like two times um, that I felt actually two two times in um in in MMA like that I knocked the girl down was like with Amanda Cooper and Mandy Polk in LFA and that I knocked them down. They were like basically out with the punch, but then I got excited and I went to like a rear naked choke. You know, and I said like man. Those could have been like knockout on my records, you know, that I did to, to, that I just, you get too excited, you know, and you go to your natural, like, ha your habits, you know, your, what you're used to in those jokes. So I'm really hoping that, like, okay, when I see that, and even my last fight, I think I really hurt Vina in the third round. Uh, I got like a good point that she was kind of, but then I got so excited that we ended up like clinching and then just she kind of recovered. And I said, like, man, if I would have just followed her like calm. Maybe I could have just landed like a one-two and got like a knockout, you know. It's so those are just things like that, you know. Coaches really trying to get me to calm down my mind, you know, not get so excited when you see that you hurt someone. I think that's like a typical like you know ground person thing. They get excited like, oh my hands worked, you know. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm definitely look. I talk to my coach all the time. I say, man, you think I can knock out one day? You know, I want to have like a knockout on my record some sooner or later, you know. So I think it's possible. All right. Well, we look forward to that day. I want to. I want to hear about what that experience is like for you uh, after that happens. So we'll have to follow up at that point in time. Uh, thanks for doing this, Mackenzie. It's this weekend yourself against Nina Ansarov. Uh, really looking forward to seeing you back in the cage. Thank you. Thanks so much. I'm now joined by Nina Ansarov, who will be competing this weekend against Mackenzie Dern. You brought Reagan with you. I spoke to Reagan with Amanda last month, so I'm I'm happy to see her uh, in good health, happy, smiling. Yep, she's good. She's ready back back here for another fight week, and then we're going to go on vacation. She travels well. I remember Amanda said that she slept the entire flight last time. This one... She did. Broke. She did again. Jeez, that's a, that's a, a miracle. You're very lucky. Yeah. <laughs> and so are the other passengers on the flight. So, I mean... I know. Them too. They even tell us, like, oh, my God, that's, like, such a good baby. Thank you. I'm like, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> that's a solid compliment to get. So, uh, you've been yeah. out of the cage for about two years. Uh, is this your first time fighting in, in front of no fans? Yep, it is. Uh, Amanda fought twice, so I kind of have an idea of what it, it's like in the environment. Uh, but it's my first time without fans, and I, and I think uh, I, I kind of like it. 
you'll be able to hear the coaching uh, a lot better. Do you feel like that's uh, more suited to you? I know you're, you've always been very coachable and uh, have listened to instruction very well. Yeah, you know, it'll keep me. I think I'll be more calm without without the audience and the, and the screaming because the coaches feel like they need to scream with the adrenaline of the audience and everything there for you to hear them. So I'm actually a pretty chill fighter. If you just talk to me, I tend to pick it up faster. So that should be that should help a lot. So I heard an interview with your opponent Mackenzie Dern yesterday, and uh, uh-huh. she revealed her strategy. What do you think it is? To take me down. Did you too? Yes, absolutely. Well, um, she hasn't been super successful with her takedowns. So uh, are you are you looking to keep this standing for as long as you possibly can? Yeah, you know, um, regardless of the fact that she's good at jujitsu or rest, even if she was a wrestler, like I'm a striker. I like to keep it standing. It, it's my thing. Um, I do have takedowns. I do have ground as well. Um, but I enjoy standing. I like punching and kicking. So that's where I'm going to try to keep the fight. Uh, it starts on the feet. So she's She's going to try to take me down. I have very good wrestling. Uh, if it just so happens to go to the ground, I also have very good jujitsu. So I'm not worried where the fight's going to go. Uh, I'm just focused on what I came to focus on, and that's my game plan. So when it comes to this particular fight against McKenzie, uh, where do you think it puts you in the division with a win? I mean, title shot. T- yeah, title shot. You know, I was number five. Before I left, I lost a close fight to Tatiana, who was the next contender. Um, she's been out since then and hasn't fought. And I think this fight should put me right back where I left off. See, I mentioned you're very coachable. I heard another voice in the background say title shot, and you answered right That's away Mandy. title shot. <laughs> I agree with her. <laughs> so for this uh, particular fight in terms of training, uh, how much time did you take away from training uh, when, I guess, Reagan was born? Uh about four weeks I took away from doing like anything at all. Like I started walking after going for walks after two, started running at four. I think she's done, Mandy. Started just running at four. And as soon as I got the clearance from the doctor that I could start sparring, I started sparring six weeks. Uh, Amanda Hebus was down getting ready for her fight, and I was her sparring partner. Well, that's a good sparring partner to have, considering she has a win over Mackenzie Dern. So were you able to pick her brain on that? Yeah, you know, but uh, there's footage out there of every fight. There's nothing that you can't see anymore, prepare for. Um, But, yeah, she she was also a a good body to train with. You know, she was four weeks out from her fight in great shape, and I was in there sparring with her. So I felt good, and it was a good place to see where I was after I left off, I felt good about it. Yeah, so two years is obviously a very long time to be out of competition. Um, but when you look at it, I'm sure you've learned a lot. I mean, you're with Amanda all the time. You guys are probably, switch, you know, one of you is watching Reagan, one of you is training and vice versa. Um, you know, how much do you think you've learned in that amount of time? And what do you think we'll see this weekend from you that we haven't seen in the past? You know, two years is a lot of time to take off, but it doesn't feel like two years. It went super fast. I felt like maybe I was only out for six, seven months because I was still in the fight world. I was still training while I was pregnant. I was still watching Amanda go through everything. Um, I've taken long breaks between fights since the beginning of my career because of injuries and all that stuff. So to me, it's not, it doesn't seem like a super long time. I really do feel like I'm just, it was not that long ago and I'm just jumping right back in where I left off. There's something very important that people don't talk about with your last fight against Tatiana Suarez. People say she got injured during the fight. You know, that, that's why it was such a close fight. But people don't realize that you almost pulled out of that fight. <laughs> Walk us through fight. I had strep throat. That fight. 
the Tuesday that I got into Chicago, I had to go to an urgent care because I had strep throat. I had, I was, I had a fever. I was like sick. My throat was swollen closed. Amanda had a pink eye that she got on the plane from something. So like we had to sleep in separate rooms. So I wouldn't get that as well. I was on antibiotics. I had a horrible weight cut. So it was like everything that could have went wrong that week went wrong. You know, I had a really close fight to Tatiana. I also had other injuries. Every fight I go into injuries, you know, but it was a close fight. It let me know where I stood in the division against the best wrestler. And it was time for me to have the baby. And that's just how that week worked out, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And a very, very close fight. We haven't seen Tatiana since, unfortunately. Uh, but it, it's certainly great to have you back. Uh, you talk about Tatiana's wrestling and how she's uh, you know, a real specialist in that area. When you look at Mackenzie, it's very similar. Although her striking has improved, I think that um, you're a level above her in terms of striking. But when it comes to the ground, that's, that's her bread and butter. Um, with Amanda Hibosh, has that been valuable for you because of her really good jujitsu that you've been able to train in that regard in case it gets to, yeah, uh, to that point? Yeah. Not just her, you know, there's a lot of guys. Pantoja, he's a really good high-level black belt. My coach, he's a high-level black belt. There's a lot of high-level black belts in my gym that I spar with on a daily basis. I fought Claudia, who has really good takedowns and is a jiu-jitsu black belt. Of course, you know, Mackenzie's ground is more fluent and, and, and she's a world champion. But I'm not – I'm a purple belt, but I've been a purple belt for eight years. You know, I've been training jiu-jitsu for 15. It's not something completely foreign to me. You know, and I have good takedown defense, so like I'm I'm ready. Now I want you to be honest with me here on something. The last fight that Amanda had against Megan Anderson, there was footage of her walking into the not Amanda of Megan walking to the arena, and she looked kind of shook. Did she look afraid to you? I, it's it's hard to say from watching Megan? a video like that. Yeah, but did Megan look afraid to you in that video? It's hard to say what afraid is anymore because sometimes your nerves get the best of you, and your head just goes off to a certain place. And it doesn't necessarily mean fear, you know, we're all fighters. We all get hit. We've all been, we've all, most of us have lost before. So we know that feeling as well. Um, the pressure fighting for the belt. I don't know. I don't like to say scared because you don't know what someone's thinking. And I don't want to put that judgment on someone. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I've never seen somebody walk into the arena looking like that. I mean, for what it's worth, it's, it was just an, an interesting video to look at because she looked like, I, I don't know, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to say that she was afraid, like you said, but she certainly looked shook walking into the, yeah. uh, the venue. Well, you know, I, no one really knows what it's like when you're fighting someone that's the greatest of all time, that has super heavy hands. It's so well-rounded, like, she had had a lot of things going through her head right then, so I'm not sure exactly what that feeling might be. Yeah, I can't blame her. <laughs> of course, I, I certainly don't want to get in there with the best of any of anything in any division. So uh, I, I'm not again trying to cast dispersions on her. Uh, in terms of the night before a fight, uh, I always wonder about a fighter's mentality, about how how many you know what, what the nerves are like. I imagine you and Amanda kind of offset each other in those situations where one of you is is competing. How do you feel the night before a fight typically? I feel fine, excited. I don't get nervous anymore. I've been doing this for so long, professionally for about 10 years. I've been fighting kickboxing since I was six years old. This isn't, my life doesn't revolve around the sport. You know, I have my family, I have other jobs, careers that I have outside of fighting. It's not, I don't put that pressure on myself anymore. I don't care if someone makes a stupid comment on the internet. I don't care if I, if I, 
don't perform the way you want me to. I don't care what people say anymore. So the night before, like, I'm just happy that I get to eat whatever I want and then fight the next day. Yeah, there must be a lot of peace that comes with that because I know there are fighters. I, you know, I spoke to Charles Jordan, a Canadian fighter, and he was saying that when he started to ignore what people were saying online, it, it helped him so much, just getting over that barrier. Was there a time where that used to affect you? I mean, it, it would affect both Amanda and I. We're both in the sport. We're both looked at. We're both talked about, especially because, like, we're a, a, a lesbian couple with a baby. So you have all those negative opinions about that and about what people think life should be about. And, and like, you literally look at the two of us and our baby. We're the happiest we could possibly be right now. Like, what anyone says right now is laughable. Yeah, I, I didn't really think about how you also have to deal with that kind of judgment from uh, from people online. And I mean, we still we're in a progressive society, but there's still a lot of progressive thinking out there. Oh, and the thing is, is the hate's always louder than the love. So, but I don't even look at the comments. I'll I'll post they'll post a video of me and Amanda, and there'll be like 300 comment comments, maybe 150 are negative, but there's 150 thousand likes. I look at how many people like it, not how many people have negative shit to say about it. <laughs> Yeah, that's a very wise approach. I try to do the same. It's it's hard to do sometimes because it's it's easier to read something rather than to think of a heart as somebody saying, I like that. That's what I always try to picture. It's funny now. Like sometimes we read them and we laugh because we're like, man, they really feel strong about two people they have no connection with. <laughs> yes, uh, that's a very good point, of course. Uh, so so with Mackenzie this weekend, um, when, when you're in there with her uh, and, and you um, – I guess you, you feel her for the first time in terms of a grappling exchange. Do you feel like that's going to help you get over a, a kind of a mental barrier once if she has like an unsuccessful takedown? How do you think that she will feel and how do you think you will feel in that situation? I mean, from experience, I think so. Every, every fighter I fought that is trying to take me down and they end up failing towards the end and I start picking them apart and winning the fights. It, you know, it's, that's just the way it has gone. But, you know, she has a lot of heart. She'll keep coming and I'm going to keep defending all right, you know, well, it's a pleasure speaking with you, catching up with you. It's great to have you back in the cage uh, yourself, Mackenzie Dern. It's uh, Saturday afternoon. If anybody's watching this, don't, don't watch it at night. It won't be on uh, this <laughs> afternoon. And uh, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. I'm now joined by Canadian Tristan Connolly, who's returning to action at 145 pounds. Your last fight was against a guy who should be fighting at middleweight, and you got a win there. Now you're moving all the way down to 145. What made you decide to move down? Uh, just planning a long time, you know, I, after got my surgery, I, you know, obviously I lost a bit of weight there and I figured I could probably try and maintain that and, uh, make a run at 45 division. Um, whether or not it's going to be a long-term thing, I don't know yet. Uh, but I, I'm definitely on point to make 45 for this fight. Uh, and then we'll, we'll go from there. I'm excited to more than anything else, just to get back in there and compete. So, uh, here we go. Do you see an advantage to moving all the way down to 45? I feel like at 55, you'd probably feel a lot healthier. Uh, well, it's, it depends how you're going to run your cut, right? Like, I put the – since I've recovered from surgery, I've been really planning on my return to the fight. So it's not like I'm trying to cut from what I'd usually be at 55 down to 45. I, I lost the weight correctly beforehand, so I, I'm sitting at a really good spot. Now – I've been really good with my diet, really clean. What if I eat, start eating a little more? I, since I have been training more, I have been putting more muscle on uh, and burning fat. 
though I'm still in a good spot. I just don't know what's going to happen after the fight. If I start eating, my body might be hungry for calories and might start putting a lot more muscle, in which case I'll go back to 55. But uh, right now, I just think that, uh, you know, the 45 division at this end are some good fights for me. Um, I'm training with a lot of 45ers here too. So a lot of my best training partners uh, in Vegas now are 45ers. So like, it, I, it's nice to be able to compete with guys the same size that I'm going to be competing against. And uh, yeah, it's pretty much why I made the decision now. And it's kind of a, a test, honestly, to see how it goes, see how the cut goes, uh, see how I perform. If it doesn't go well, we'll go back to 55. But uh, right now, I feel like I'm in a pretty good spot and it's going to go well, I think. Who are some of those featherweights that you're training with right now? Uh, well, Jeremy Kennedy, obviously one of them. Uh, and uh, Julian Arosa, uh, Dan Ige. Uh, the three of them are three guys I've been getting a lot of rounds with, and uh, they're like my favorite guys to train with down here. So um, it, 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 there's not a lot of, there's honestly not a lot of 55ers. It's mostly 45ers that are uh, at a high level, a really high level at least, and uh, how I have the best rounds with. So it, it, it just kind of made sense that with the weight that I lost after the surgery and the, and the training partners and the time I had to prepare for it was like, hey, let's, Let's not try and just do like a weight loss camp where I'm trying to kill myself. Let's, I, I spent a lot of time dieting while I was rehabbing and getting my weight, uh, burning off all the extra fat. Like I'm way leaner than I've ever been in my entire life right now. And uh, I feel really good. I feel strong. Uh, and I, you know, I'm, I can't wait to show what I can do. Be careful around Ige. Uh, apparently he's been hurting a lot of Canadians lately. Don't hurt me. We have great rounds. I love <laughs> yeah, no kidding, I guess. But that's, uh, he definitely did. No, Dan's, man, I, Dan's one of the funnest guys to spar with. We have really fun rounds. Um, we're both, I think we're both very similarly uh, skilled as far as me and Dan. We're both, we're, we're both like fighters before sort of martial artists and athletes, I think. So we, we, we really push each other in the gym and it's a lot of fun. How much of your training has been Vegas-based uh, since your last fight, and, and who's going to be cornering you for this fight? Uh, well, I've been here since mid-January, uh, so I've been here for quite a while. For quite a while. Basically, since I've been uh, going 100%, uh, I've been here in Vegas. So before I got to Vegas, I was only cleared to do contact training for about a month and a half. Like from the surgeon, I had to I had to wait three months before I could resume uh, like. Con any kind of contact and I started the surgeons I start off with some light grappling uh, and then sort of progress from there that I at four months or four and a half months you can start light striking and progress from there so I was only like I'd only sparred light you know medium a couple times before I came to Vegas and I rolled at about you know 60 50 60 percent intensity for about a month so I hadn't done a lot and I got here and it was time to start testing myself and so honestly First month I got here, I was just getting my ass kicked by everyone because I just, I hadn't trained in like eight months really live. I hadn't done any really hard rounds uh, and I came right into a place where everyone's getting ready for fights every week and there's always, got, like, everyone's on point. So I really had to, you know, get used to not being like myself and start and just accept that these guys that I, usually I would be getting the better of are going to be giving me a really hard time. But you know, I, I've, I've surpassed where I was before, um, as far as before, before when I was training for my uh, Alex before I feel way better than I did then. Like I, I, in the last three months, it's like, I've, I've, 
come like two, three hundred percent from where I was, and now I, I just I can't wait to get back in there. Three oh, and these corners, corners. Yeah. I'm gonna have uh, uh, Matthew Jelly, so another Canadian who's he's living, he's been living down in Vegas for a, a while. Uh, so we've been doing a lot of work together, uh, and Jeremy Kennedy as well is gonna come out after his fight in Bellator this week, and then uh, working on the third right now. Um, it could be might be either Dan Goldberg uh, or uh, Coach Casey where there's a few uh, logistical things we're trying to figure out how we're going to go there, but those are the two options. Cool. That's good to hear you. Yeah, Jeremy Kennedy with a big fight against Adam Borks this week. That should be a, a fun one. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm excited to see him. I think he, I mean, Jeremy's a, he's a, he's a monster, man. Like, I, I, when he first made it to the UFC, we were like, oh, man, is this what everyone's like? But coming down here and seeing how Jeremy handles pretty much everyone. Like, in the gym, there's almost no one that – gives Jeremy a hard time at all. He said, he said, you know, Islam Makashev is like one of the few guys that gives him a hard time. And I'm like, and he's a weight class up and a monster. And he's like, and that's the, that's the only person giving him like competitive rounds. Other than that, all the 45ers, once he gets a hold of them, he's just all over them. Yeah. That should be an interesting one this week. Uh, for sure. Now you haven't been in action yeah. for some time. Uh, I know the reason why, but do you want to explain why to, uh, to the people who are listening to this that, that, that don't know what happened to you? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, neck surgery is what has kept me out. Uh, but the, the, what actually caused the neck or the, the injuries from car accident actually about just about two years ago now. And, uh, you know, I, I started getting symptoms right after the car accident. But I, I was able to kind of maintain, rehab maintain. And we didn't have any imaging. And the symptoms were at a point where we're, they didn't, the doctors weren't too concerned. Or, like, they figured it was just something in the muscle because I was able to carry on and honestly training kind of made me feel better. Like when I took a time off, it would start to bug me a bit more and then I would go back to training and I fought three times and it was fine. And then uh, once uh, we got put in quarantine and I stopped doing all physical activity about two months in, over a course of about five, six days, it went from 10% to 12,000%, like the worst pain I've ever been in my entire life. Um, I basically, I, I, destroyed a bunch of discs in my neck when the car accident my head snapped forward um and uh being physically active kind of kept it at bay and then when i stopped i you know i'm assuming it's the you know the, the muscles weakening not supporting the the system as much started putting more pressure on the the nerve and uh, we got an mri and like my there there's a one disc that was just absolutely mangled and a couple other ones that are quite damaged uh and it became Talking to a lot of doctors, many doctors recommended fusions. Many doctors, uh, you know, like never, you know, never gonna fight again. And I, I talked to, uh, you know, uh, uh, one surgeon, Dr. Son, out of Victoria, who uh, I've known about. For, I've known Dr. Son for quite some time because um, he works at my my good friend's clinic. And I talked to him, and he's like, "Look, we, we want to give you an artificial disc, not a fusion. They're only getting symptoms from the one disc. So that's all we're gonna do." Uh, and so we went with that and it's been great. And actually we're at the company Medtronic that makes the, the discs in my neck. We've been, uh, working with them too. And, uh, trying to let the world know about the, what's in my neck. It's actually the same, uh, same device that Chris Weidman has in his neck. And he's been competing for some time. And that was actually the reason that the surgeon was comfortable saying, Hey, I know that this disc has, uh, been working for someone in the UFC and then competing with it. Uh, and the more I've learned about it, I've realized that, that you know, it was, there's, there's several different devices out there on the market. 
but the, the Medtronic one is super simple. Uh, it, uh, there's not much to break and it's only two pieces and, um, and I feel great. Like, honestly, I woke up from the surgery. My pain was, my nerve pain is essentially gone. There's, you know, there's obviously things that I have to rehab from and there's still a few little things, but other than that, like as far as fighting, I feel great. My pain gone, my functionality feel good. Were there any lingering injuries that that fixed as well before the car accident that you, you wanted to eventually get looked at? No, uh, nothing major. Like, I mean, it, the, I still on my wrist when I, I, when I hit the, the horn, the airbag went off and then my head didn't hit the airbag. Like I braced. So my head snapped forward and that's what caused the, uh, my neck, but my wrist got smashed by the airbag and it's, it's been kind of, you know, funky ever since. And it, it's not that bad, but it's not really getting better, but it doesn't, it doesn't, functionally doesn't bug me it's just kind of achy sometimes and uh the more strength training i do the better it gets the less strength training i do the worse it gets so just like pretty much everything the stronger you are the the stronger the muscles are the more they support the joints the less pain you usually have but when you get weaker the ligaments and tendons take more of the 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 force and if they're damaged that's where you start to get uh issues what can you tell me about pat sabatini your upcoming opponent Pat, he's a man. He's a gamer. Uh, from what I've seen, he he is a hard worker. He doesn't take any shortcuts. He's he's mentally tough. He like that arm dislocation he had uh, was it last year or before? He didn't tap. He wanted to keep fighting. Like really, that showed me a lot about his character. Uh, I know he's a real good grappler. Div one wrestler. BJJ black belt likes to likes to push the wrestling. I, so do I, you know, I love being on the fence. That's where I'm the strongest. Um, so I, I really foresee us turning this into a, a hard grappling match and, and seeing who can push harder longer. I think it's going to come down to whose conditioning is better and who can wear the other guy out a little bit. Um, I think if either of us try and strike too much, where the other person is going to probably won't initiate a seat opportunity to initiate the grappling. So I really see that at least early on that's going to happen. And if they're striking, it's going to probably happen after uh, some of that fatigue sets in. Uh, if one of us decides that we can shut the other person's grappling down and outstrike them. <clears throat> so this is going to be in front of a full arena of fans in two weeks in Jacksonville. Uh, yeah. You, you didn't get to fight in the empty arena this entire time. You've, you've been No, rehabbing. I didn't. So I'm going right from uh, apparently one of the loudest crowds uh, or loudest cheers for my fight that uh, the UFC staff have ever heard to one of the fullest events that the, the UFC's ever had. So it's just going to seem just like normal to me. All right, Justin, well, it was a pleasure catching up with you. Best of luck against Pat Sabatini. And uh, it's good to hear your voice. Good to hear you're doing well. And good to hear you're moving down to featherweight. I'm looking forward to seeing what you look like there. The speed might be a little bit different than a, than a Michelle Pereira. So <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. So he's quick. You know, or anything else, if he had anything, it was speed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough. But they didn't have Dan Ige speed or, uh, or Tristan Conley no, no, or Jeremy Kennedy not. speed. <laughs> no, definitely not. Definitely. They're, they're much faster. <laughs> uh, well, we're looking forward to your return. Glad to hear you're healthy, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Awesome. Thanks, Aaron. You too. Have a good day. I'm now joined by the latest addition to the UFC roster fighting out of Vancouver, British Columbia, Lupita Godinez taking on veteran of the sport, Jessica Penne, coming up very, very soon. Now this is a short notice fight, but how did you get this news and where were you and how did you react to it? Um, I was, I was, well, when, when the manager said that we got it, I was at Costco with my boyfriend and we got it and, 
and then pretty much it was everything has been so fast they were like okay well perfect you have to leave tomorrow go to the states and then uh, we go from there so everything is being happening so fast that i haven't really have a time to think so you know i just i'm just going with the flow and uh, ready to fight getting good news while you're at costco sounds like a recipe for disaster did you end up buying more stuff than you needed no i actually no i didn't <laughs> i was like okay let's go let's go training and then i went training right away <laughs> well, that's that's the right move. I, I like to hear that. Yeah. You don't stock up on uh, on stereos and all kinds of different stuff at Costco. Uh, so tell me about yourself. How did you end up in Vancouver? And when did you decide to become a professional fighter? Well, uh, in Mexico, my family and I, we had uh, this problem with, you know, the, the some people like started um, asking for money and then we had to leave the country. So we decided to go to Vancouver because it was like the best city in, in Canada. Uh, uh, that had the best weather. We didn't have the visa to come to the States, so we couldn't come to the States. That's why we ended up in Vancouver. Um, and then once I was in Vancouver, um, I was working out, I was going to school, I was doing my thing. I met my boyfriend, then uh, I started training judo. Well, I started training judo, I picked it up again because I did judo in Mexico. Uh, then uh, I saw in MMA, in uh, the TV, I saw MMA, and then I was like, oh, I want to do that. And then he's like, okay, if you want to do that, that's cool and everything, but you have to take it seriously. And you have to get to training and, and find, um, a, find a gym. So I joined Titan, and uh, I've been there since. And how long have you lived in Vancouver for? For how long? Oh, it's going to go maybe 11 years now. Yeah, it's a great city. I've been out there many times, of course, uh, as, yeah, a, as a Canadian. It's a beautiful city, so you uh, you couldn't have found a better place to go to. Especially, like you said, the weather in Canada, it's hard to find a good place uh, in terms of good weather. I mean, Vancouver is one of the best, uh, as long as you're yeah. okay with rain. Rain, a lot of rain. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> raining all the time. Well, make it work. Uh, so, Jessica Penne, uh, she's been in the sport for a long time. Is that somebody who you kind of grew up watching uh, because she's been around for so long? Uh no, I, I may watch one of her fights before, but no, 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 that I, that, that really stuck up to me, um, you know, but I'm super excited. I'm super um, uh, excited to have her as my opponent, you know, it's, she's been around for so long and I'm excited to step in the cage with her. Now, I've seen you fight previously. I was at your, uh, your main event, I believe it was the main event uh, for BTC, uh, where you, I believe you captured the BTC championship. So uh, congratulations on that and the LFA championship, of course. Thank you. Um, so w when did you feel like you were ready to be in the UFC? Did you feel like it was after you won the LFA title or sometime before then? Uh, sometime before that, I, I, I mean, I, I, I believe in my skills. I believe in myself and I, I think I was ready before, but you know, the opportunity happened now and, and, and I'm really excited and I'm happy that happened now. I think ev like everything is being just at the perfect timing. It's been a perfect timing and now I'm here. And I'm gonna enjoy it now. What's something that people that have never seen you fight before should know about you? You know, if this is their first time hearing your voice, they've never seen you fight before. Tell them a little bit about how you fight and uh, why they should tune in. Well, when I step into the fight, into the cage, I'm the happiest person. Uh, I love to fight, and I love to make the fight. I like to make it excited, exciting. Now, I think there are two types of fighters. There are fighters that are really anxious uh, to, to get in there and fight. 
Um, and then there are fighters that are really nervous about getting in there. Which of those two would you say you are? Me, I'm the type of fighter that, you know, when it's my time, it's my time, and I'll just do what I have to do. That's why I train every day. That's why that's what I do. And, you know, I love being in the cage. So for me, it's, you know, I'm, I'm warming up, dancing. I'm, I'm, I'm joking around. I'm not, like, super tense or nothing. I'm just super relaxed and ready to rock. Who are some of your training partners at Titan that uh, you get into a lot of your work with? Well, uh, Tara, Tara Ray and other other guys, like really good jiu-jitsu guys. Uh, my coaches, Ken Tran and Nabil Salame, and my boxing coaches. Um, currently, I'm in Denver right now training. You're in Denver, did you say? Yeah, yeah. I had to come to the States early, so I've been training here. Where in Denver are you training? Uh, uh, elevation. Oh, yeah, that's a great team. Uh, they've had a lot of success recently. Um, so in terms of uh, this, this upcoming fight, after you get this one done, are you looking to stay active? I know during the pandemic, it was very hard for fighters on the regional scene to actually get fights. Oh, yeah, I would like to, I like to be active for sure. Like, like if I can, three, every three months, fight something like that, that would be great. Is there anybody that you'd like to face that, uh, that's on the UFC roster that you know, one day you've, you've pictured yourself in the past fighting? Uh, no, I, I wouldn't say I, I will pick anyone, you know, whoever they give me, you know, I'll just, I'll just uh, go to the top, you know, I'm going to take the, no, I won't, I'll just take whatever they give me and, and get to the top, that's it. So you're looking to just stay as active as possible and move your way up the rankings? Yeah, pretty much. So this fight's uh, April the 17th against Jessica Penne. Were there any reservations about taking a short notice fight, or do you feel like you're just always ready? You're always in camp and, and preparing as if you're going to get that call to the UFC. Well, I'm always I'm always training. I'm always ready to fight. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's you know all my professional fights except the last one they being short notice. So I'm pretty used to it. Do you watch a lot of mixed martial arts in terms of UFC events? Is there anybody that you feel like your your skill set uh, is is comparable to in the UFC that fights the most like you? Hmm. Good question. Mm. No, no, not on top of my head right now. <laughs> Nobody stands out. Is there anybody that you that you uh, yes. hope to model your your game after? Anybody that you look up to in the division? Oh yeah, um, I love Rose and. Um, I love, um, well, she's in 125, the champ, 125, Valentina. You mentioned Rose. Have you seen her at all? You're out at uh, Team Elevation. I think she trains there from time to time. Yeah, I'm actually going to see her tomorrow, so I'm really excited. Have you met her before? Yeah, yeah, I've been here before. Yeah. I haven't trained with her, but I, I, I met her before. So are you actually going to be in the cage, you know, doing some training with her? Yes. She's got a fight coming up, uh, probably, I think it's just a week after your fight against uh, Zhang Weili to yeah. try to win back, win back the championship. So I have a feeling she'll probably be uh, in fight mode, which is probably a good, a good test for you uh, of how you measure up against one of the top women in your division. Oh, yeah, I'm super excited. I'm super excited. All right, Lupita, well, we're excited uh, on behalf of Canada to see you in the cage and see you representing both Canada and Mexico uh, on the big stage. Uh, congratulations on getting signed and best of luck against Jessica Penne on April the 17th. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. A big thank you to all of our guests, David Shaw, Kevin Holland, Marvin Vittori, Nina Ansarov, Mackenzie Dern, Tristan Connolly, Lupita Godinez, 
and to you, the listener, for sticking with us throughout uh, all of these great interviews. Really appreciate that. And another thing I would appreciate, I, I, know, I think you know what I'm going to say because I say it every week. But if you're new to the show, I'm going to say it again. These interviews don't cost anything to consume. We don't have any advertising on the show as of yet. So it really helps if you rate and review the show. Rate and review. It helps us help you. So uh, do that. Go to iTunes or wherever you get this podcast and leave us a nice review. It it goes a long way for our listenership. And uh, I hope that uh, you enjoy these interviews. We uh, look forward to doing them each and every week. And we've got more of them coming up next week. So thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week with more fantastic interviews for you. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.